Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Welcome back to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes, or this week, the second parts of episodes, pulled two weeks ago. My name's Andrew, and I'll be your host for this edition of RTR, and I'm joined by my good buddy Matt for the second half of our first ever two-parter, Descent Part 2. Now, Matt, uh, give me your glasses, or I'm going to take them by force. I don't think they'd look that good on you, and uh, they probably wouldn't be much use unless you are extremely nearsighted. So, <laughs> I am, actually, so there, oh boy, there we I, have it. I better be careful, then. All right, so we are looking at the second half of uh, Descent Part 2. This is kind of unfamiliar ground. This is our first two-parter, so um, because we have double the episodes, I'm getting double the score this week, so... Um, Matt, give me a little recall on the second part of uh, of the episode, and uh, this week you're rating me out of five metaphasic shields. The good old metaphasic shields. Um, yeah, I went back and listened to it because uh, I mean it was several weeks ago. I don't didn't quite remember uh, everything you said, but uh, you were pretty much spot on with like the main plot, uh, with you know lore sort of taking over the board. And um, also Riker and Worf uh, on the planet kind of looking for uh, the captain and LaForge and Troy. Um, the only thing I'd say you really missed was you made no mention of the whole Crusher thing right. on the Enterprise. But um, other than that, I think you pretty much nailed the plot. And um, you, you, know, you made mention of some of the, some of the main char- guest characters that were in it. So um, I'm going to give you a rating of four out of five metaphasic shields. All right, so that's a total of uh, 8 out of 10 for uh, Descent. You're very consistent with this one. That's true, yeah. I uh, I definitely, when you have the two-parter episodes, if you're playing along at home, it is very difficult to remember, A, what happened in what section, and also which characters were doing which thing. Like I said, it was uh, Riker and Crusher, but it was what Riker and Worf. Crusher was on the ship, like that kind of like little small mistakes, but that's just kind of... There's like a thousand some odd episodes, right? It's hard to sometimes remember who's doing what and why. There's a lot of episodes to remember, yes. So let's take a look at this one specifically. This is The Next Generation, Season 7. Isn't that crazy? Episode 1, the original air date, September 20th, 1993. We have guest stars Brian Cousins as Croesus again, James Horan as Barnaby, Jonathan Delarco as Hugh, and Alex Dutcher as Ensign Tate. This one was written by Rene Echecabera and directed by Alex Sigger. So let's take a look, a look at the synopsis. The Sons of Soong reveal their plan to eliminate all biological life in the galaxy, beginning the rule of artificial life with them as their leaders. Dun, dun, dun. But back aboard the Enterprise, acting Captain Crusher and her skeleton crew are beaming up the remaining members of the crew from the planet below, holding off to the very last second to raise the shields as the board ship comes into range. Back on the planet, Worf and Riker continue to look for the captain. Search teams as they cut to them being held into holding cell. 
data even going so far as to removing Jordy's visor, threatening to take it by force. This is not the same data that we're used to. Back on the ship, one-off officers Barnaby and Tate are discussing ways to get the remaining people off of the planet. Before they finally decide to use the planet as a block to sneak back into the planet's atmosphere and grab the remaining crew. Meanwhile, Data and Laura discuss the strange experiments that they seem to be doing on the board before sending Data to try some of these experiments on Data's old friend, Jordy LaForge. Despite having a 60% mortality rate and a guarantee of brain damage, Data begins the strange experiments on Jordy, despite Jordy's best attempts to remind him of their happier times. Eventually, Crusher hides the ship in the sun's corona using the NASA basic shields. Remember that from Suspicions? Um, and Picard and LaForge are able to reset Data's subroutines using an interlink transceiver. Some smart thinking allows Trait, Ensign Tate to create a solar flare that destroys the Borg ship while on the planet. Lore asks Data to prove his ultimate loyalty and kill Picard. When Data's unable to do it, Lore says that he'll make the ultimate sacrifice and kill his own brother. Luckily, Worf, Riker, and Hugh makes the big sacrifice, jumping in front of the beam and saving Data's life. A huge firefight breaks out, and eventually Data has to make the difficult decision to deactivate Lore, even if it means not having his emotion chips anymore. All right, Matt, now sometimes these second parts of two-part episodes don't ever live up to the excitement of the cliffhanger right um i mean that maybe is a discussion for another time or a blog post but how did you feel that this one captured the the hangingness of the cliff the anticipation did you think that a it paid off and then give me kind of a general sense of how you felt about the overall episode uh the short answer is no um i thought i i i, I lived through this summer as you know, um, like the first time I saw this episode was during the original run, and I had to wait like three months or however long it was. And I was like 10 years old at the time, but I was, I, I thought about it a lot like, what's going to happen? What, like, it was, it was built up pretty big, and like they, they left you hanging off of a pretty steep cliff. And then when I, you know, when it actually came on, I, I just, I was expecting more. Yeah, it's kind of like a regular episode if you think about it. Yeah, it, it was, I almost feel like this was one of those episodes where it was kind of like in no man's land as far as like if, if they'd sort of eliminated some parts of it, they could have maybe made it like just a single episode and it would have been really good. Or if they'd filled in some parts, they would could have made it an even better two-part episode. Yeah. But I feel like it was sort of in that like sort of mushy middle where you, where you either have to do one of the two and I thought that by stretching it out, I, I just felt like they didn't really stretch like fill the fill things in quite enough yeah and i guess maybe the other thing that i would just kind of ask to it is like do you have a better idea for where this episode could have went because it, it kind of goes almost exactly like what you would envision right if you were sitting down and you were like okay well how can they get out of this you probably say you know they're evil for a bit and then data turns and Laura's defeated like that's pretty much what you would probably guess would happen and then that does happen right I don't know. I would have expected like this giant armada of Borg ships like coming to destroy the Federation because that's what Lore said they were going to do, or what Data said they were going to do. And, you know, and Ooh, then the Enterprise, that's, you know, and then yeah. the Enterprise has to like beat these like insurmountable odds and come up with some like ingenious plan to stop them. And yeah, really happen. Like that's what I. That's what ten year old 
that was, was thinking. You were kind of thinking like where Deep Space Nine would eventually go with like the end of the episode being a massive kind of uh, war starting or something. Well, or or at least maybe the specter of that sort of hanging over their heads for the course of the episode until they figure out how to stop them. Yeah, you know, I kind of agree with that. Just kind of go into what I what I kind of felt about it was, and again, it is really difficult to live up to the anticipation sometimes with these particular episodes. And I didn't necessarily go with the whole Armada showing up, although I do kind of like that. Like, it turns out that this is really just a one-off ship, right? In the end, that's what it is. Yep. And maybe it would have been better if there was Borg people or more cubes or something show up. That maybe would be a good idea. The problem with that is, is that, like, they already established in Best of Both Worlds, like, the Federation can't even deal with one cube. Right? So if there's even, like, if there's two or three or something, like, they have no chance. So that's kind of, I guess, the way that they brought this back was by having their own ship that was kind of separate and isolated, and it was more of a lore, and he has these specific kind of Borg, not necessarily the Borg Borg. Mm. And so, yeah, I, to be honest with you, it went almost exactly the way I thought it would. And when I saw this episode originally... I was kind of thinking, I bet you by the end of this episode, Data's going to be back as the, you know, commander in the, on the Enterprise, and Laura's going to be either gone, run away, or dead, and the Borg is going to be neutralized, that's going to be all there is. And that, that's essentially what we got, right? And I'm not saying that it's bad, per se, it's just like you said, it doesn't live up to the hype of what they've established, right? Well, yeah, it was, I mean, you look at this as a, as a cliffhanger, I mean, it's, it's pretty high up there as far yeah. as like you know which one leaves you anticipating more yeah i mean sometimes that letdown is a little bit inevitable true i mean unless they want to make a major direction shift with the show you're pretty much going to have to get back to the same spot that you were at right yeah yeah exactly and i think one of the things with best of both worlds and stuff was, was i don't think that they knew that Patrick Stewart was coming back, so people were like, oh my god, is this how they're going to write him off, and all this other kind of stuff, whereas this one, I don't think there was ever really a chance that Data was going to be evil for the rest of the show. No, you're probably right. <laughs> Alright, so let's talk about a little bit of background development stuff. Um, not a whole ton of stuff for part two here, uh, but originally Barclay was supposed to be part of the skeleton crew, rather than Tate and Barnaby. Um, do you think that it was a good idea to leave him out with that kind of maybe too bumbly, too goofy for this kind of an episode or would you rather see somebody that you know rather than these two randoms that you literally never see again i i don't mind barkley i think that could have made for some memorable scenes of you know bumbling old barkley who you know stumbles around and somehow manages to get things right in the end but uh i don't know i think it might i don't think it would have been uh you know i don't think it would have been bad and it was you know when i read that i was like eh, it's kind of a shame that they couldn't get him yeah, in terms of continuity, I almost feel like it would make a bit more sense because he's probably a little bit more senior than like an ensign. I know they went with like a skeleton crew, but that maybe is a little bit too too low. You know what I mean? Just in terms of like that now that person's on the bridge and they're there, you're there, your best chance at defeating the Borg in this situation. I don't know. It would also make sense for Barkley to be left behind because I mean he's not exactly uh, yeah an ideal candidate to be <laughs> scouring a planet looking for. You know, Picard and the rest while the Borg kicking right. around. Exactly right, exactly. <laughs> and he has shown to be able to come through in the clutch in the past, so. Yes, just not in the most, uh, you know, glamorous way. No, but I mean, if it works, it works. Yeah. 
Uh, did you also notice that building? Did it seem familiar somehow? Yeah, um, I, I remembered it mostly from Power Rangers. Yeah, that's like Zordon's house or Zordon's lair or something, yeah. right? That's kind of yeah. like where they hang out and they get their missions and stuff like that from? Yep, I definitely... I didn't recognize it at first, but when I started reading that it was used in other other shows, and I read about the Power Rangers, I was like, oh, yes, that is the same yeah, the main house. I guess it's kind of like, I think it's like a water treatment plant that's in the California area, like kind of in L.A., so they probably were thinking, like, well, there's a crazy-looking building that we can just kind of go film it, put a little filter on, away you go, right? Yeah. Uh, now, there's a more closely linked Star Trek reference. Did you notice that? Did you pick up on that one? Not uh, as much. Uh, I, I read it, and I, I, I mean, I guess, good telling the truth. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, really, I guess, I, so this is the Kittimer camp from uh, Star Trek VI, and yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't pick up on it. I feel like maybe it was kind of done as, uh, like, an insert or something, like they used the building, but then the land was different or something. Or maybe or a different angle. Different angle or different colors or something, because, yeah, I did not pick up on that at all. But kind of a cool little piece of trivia. They're all cool, yes. All right, let's hit the plot. I know that we already talked about this, but I guess it is probably the biggest piece of the show when you come back after a long break like this. And that, of course, is the teaser. We left part one, the sons assume. Three months later, we come back. This is the payoff. Um, does it pay off for you, or does this fall flat? Well, I think if we're looking strictly at the the teaser. I don't. I, I mean, I don't think it really took away from it because you know basically he's just like explaining further. Like, yeah, it doesn't really add much to it, right? It doesn't really add much to it, but I mean, there's still room for it to for the episode to kind of take off. So I, I mean, I don't think looking strictly at the teaser that was necessarily like an immediate letdown. But um, I don't know. I, I think they maybe could have done more. I I think, yeah, I think they needed something a bit bigger, um, maybe something that would be more shocking. I mean, they could have maybe shot one of them with a phaser or something, and it maybe alludes to the fact that they were killed or something, because I think they needed something to pop here, and it was just kind of a minute and a half more than what we got from the first, like, reveal of the Sons of Soon, you know? So there was something about, they, they just say, oh, we're going to take over. Well, yeah, that was implied before. Maybe they could have done a little bit more. My second question to you is, is like, do these ever really land? I mean, you can go to the best two-parters, the best cliffhangers of all TV. Is there anyone specifically, Star Trek or otherwise, that you really feel like they actually paid it off with the reveal of what it was? Maybe we'll start just with Star Trek, and then, then we'll go from there. I, I don't know. I always look at basics. To me, that was a really good cliffhanger that did kind of pay off in the sense that they don't like get the ship back until like the very end. And that's a ballsy move, right? Yeah. Yep. So that's definitely one of those things where it would be very difficult to, to do it because everybody's expecting, oh yeah, they got the ship back for sure. But then to, to kind of hold it off, I think Best of Both Worlds is one of the best payoffs. I know that everybody says the second part is not as good as the first, but if you throw family in there as well as kind of like a three, little mini three-parter, it really does, I mean, to, to the, it's the best possible way they could get back to where they were at. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, Best of Both Worlds is yeah, probably one of the best. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I guess you can't really include um, like all good things and stuff because those were like extended ones, like the finales, but... 
Yeah, it's a it's a very difficult thing to do because especially of the time you had to get back to basics and that makes it very difficult, right? Yeah, you gotta hit the reset button somehow. Yeah. So I mean, after the teaser, we kind of go back to Captain Crusher and these two recruits that are beaming up people. Um, this is the whole shields versus transporter thing, which sometimes I think it's most of the time actually. You can only transport when your shields are down. Yep. And if the shields go up, you can't transport through it. Yep. They've broken this in the past, and they've warped. They've done transport at warp and stuff, which is just... I don't like that. This is perfect because I like knowing the rules. The yeah. rules of engagement are the shields can't be up if you're trying to beam people. And this is why it's good, is this kind of tension where we got to get them up 40 more people, 20 more people. They even say they're going to use the... Like, not the main transporters, but, like, the cargo bay ones and yeah. stuff like that, which is great. I love that kind of stuff. Um, what did you think of, I guess, first off, a Crusher's command style, but also, like, this scene in general? Is this, like, a good uh, tension-building scene, or do you kind of find this to be a bit more, like, just kind of daily business? No, it was good for the tension. I mean, there's always, I mean, maybe that's why the writers decided, oh, let's uh, let's empty the ship out on the surface of the right. planet to, tr like, I thought as far as, like, building some tension, I thought it kind of worked. Uh, I mean, I didn't think it was bad. And what do you think about uh, these two new people that we have? Would you have rather had somebody else, or are you happy that these are just whatever, these randos? Uh, I, I wasn't really a big fan of that whole thing. Yeah. It's just too generic, you know, nobodies that we never see again. And, and, I mean, I just felt like they were, the conflict between them, it just seemed, like, really forced and kind of fake to me. Yeah, I guess they were trying to create kind of a situation where she's like the young ensign and he's a bit more experienced and there's a lot of scenes where he's going, well, my calculations say, but she's supposed to be kind of some sort of like young upstart that's really bright. And I think that they were trying to go with something there, but it didn't really, it didn't really work for me either. I do like Crusher as a captain though. And I mean, we eventually find out in the alternate future that she ends up captaining her own ship. Yeah. Uh, but I think she's pretty good here, and she's pretty much like your run-of-the-mill Star Trek captain, right? Going back to where, going to plan, and then going, well, let's just send the buoy, and we'll do it ourselves. Like, that is very Star Trek captain-y, right? So yeah. I think that that was a good, um, I thought that was a good kind of way of introducing it. Um, now, we go back to the planet, and we've got kind of the first interactions with Data, Geordi, and Lore. Um, so Data takes the visor... From Jordy, just I guess this is to make him show he's so evil now, right? He is going to oh, kind of yeah. take one of these like basic senses. He gives it to Laura. There's kind of a funny scene where Laura puts it on, and he's kind of goofing around with the visor and stuff like that. Why do they need the visor again? And what what, what was your kind of overall feel on this scene? Well, I remember Jordy said that he could like see the like carrier wave between them, so that and I guess Laura realized that, so he wanted to take the visor oh, okay. away. Okay. Right. So that was why he Lore wanted it. Right. Aside from like trying it on. And just kind of goofy about. But was there also something to do with the Borg experiments that they were doing? They maybe need the technology or something or no? I don't. I don't think anything like that was mentioned. No. It was just okay. The carry waves. Okay, I didn't. I didn't pick that up. So that's uh, so that's pretty good. So it, it's kind of a strange episode actually because it's broken up into like three major parts. You got the Crusher part. You've got the Data, Lore, Picard, Geordi, Troy part, and then you've got the Warp and the Riker part. Um, let's maybe just get the Riker Wharf stuff kind of out of the way because it's very much like C storyline, I felt. I don't know, maybe you feel differently, but essentially Wharf and Riker are looking for them. They find an underground kind of area. They go down, they find Hugh, 
there's a bunch of exposition that Laura is doing experiments on the Borg and it's like killing them. Hugh's kind of upset because they sent him back with emotions and it actually is not really what he wanted. He wanted to be part of the collective and they were kind of cast out and then they eventually helped show him up at the end. So talk to me about that little C plot and the use of Hugh as well as Laura's plan. So I'm not even 100% sure I'd know what Laura's plan is. Well, I don't think anyone really knows what Laura's <laughs> plan Because like, we were talking about that after we recorded it last time. We were like, what the heck was he doing? Like, what, what? But anyways, as far as the whole Riker Worf thing, yeah, you're right that that was sort of like the lower, lowest, lowest level plot that there was in this episode. Where there were more than usual. I, I thought, I mean, I thought it was okay that they included this. Um, I, I thought the reveal of Hugh was was a little bit surprising, um, even though like they had alluded to it throughout part one and even into part two. I, I don't know what it was that. that you know, they just sort of get captured by these Borg, and then all of a sudden they're in this like underground, more the case cavern yeah. or whatever. And then he, he just like he, I think um, you know Riker's like Hugh, and he turns around, and then he's got that one line just before it goes to commercial. And I actually thought that that uh, that line was pretty like impactful. How he's like, what are you? Why are you here, Commander Riker? And then it just like goes to commercial. yeah, that was pretty I, good. I was like, like, like I thought the way that that line was delivered was pretty effective. Yeah, I always like that actor. I liked him very, very much in Iborg. I just don't know if they really used him enough here. I f- kind of feel it's a bit wasted. Well, he was in what, like, three scenes? Well, yeah, and I mean, he was spo- like the whole idea that we were talking about last week, where he's the whole beginning, right? He's patient zero. He's the one that created this whole line of Borg who have emotions and feelings, and it's him that is the reason that Laura's able to even get in here and infiltrate them and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Like he has that one good line, but then, I mean, after that, he does the big sacrifice at the end, which we'll get to, but I don't know. I kind of feel like it was wasted. I was kind of expecting more. I was kind of excited to see how this all kind of came about, but it's just literally thrown away in two or three lines, and then they show those Borg that are sick or dying or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what was up with those guys? Well, that was the result of, like, Lore's previous experiment. I think was what that was supposed and to be. And so was Laura's a plan here to take the biological aspect out of the Borg? Yes. Okay. But it's kind of a 50-50 thing, so... Well, I think he, he was trying to, like, devise a method that, like, their artificial implants would completely take over and they the biological part right. would just be gone. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's... That kind of But I sense. guess it didn't work. Cause, you right. You got that one Borg who, like, had, like, a like, shrunken head... Yeah. And the other one is like implants were going all haywire. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, it makes sense in terms of the story that they were going to get rid of all the biological life forms. But why wouldn't you just use the Borg to wipe out all the life forms and then at the last minute just wipe out the Borg people? I don't know. I don't know. His, his Lore's plan is not really all that clear, I don't think. Yeah. You know what? And I'm not even necessarily against that. It's just that if you're going to be the evil scientist and you're not going to be very good at it, you have to be maybe be more maniacal and more kind of crazy, like just doing it for the sake of doing it. And I don't know if that necessarily came across because there's just so many things going on. You've got Lore. He did this whole big elaborate plan so he could get data. And then with the two of them, and he's controlling them with the emotions, and they're doing these experiments to try to get the flesh parts out of the Borg. And then they're doing the thing with Jordy, and they need the visor because it's got the he's seeing the waves. I mean, is it this too much? Is I guess maybe my question. Is it just too convoluted? Uh, I felt like there were parts they could have taken out 
and yeah. parts that they could have maybe filled in a little more. Like that's sort of what I was getting at, like right off the beginning here, is that I felt like there was just like a little bit too much going on. For me, I feel like they could have completely cut out the whole Crusher thing and just focused strictly on lore and data and what they were trying to do. Well, yeah, especially since this is Lore's last episode, it seems like he's not really in it that much. Yeah, and and maybe you make, you know, and maybe that's what the focus of the episode. Yeah, and maybe what they could have done is just like Crusher just gets all the people out and just goes back to the thing. And that's it. Well, yeah. Right? There's not the whole sun thing and all that kind of stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. they just go back. That might be the better idea. Although that is kind of an interesting idea in and of itself, is the whole as if they were seals which we'll get to in a minute but um let's just kind of go back to well let's go back to crusher anyway so they do the planet blockout thing right so they're going to come back and get them i don't know if i like this as much because the orders were this is the flagship you've got civilians on board the board ship way outmatches you you need to get back you need to get to the federation let them know so that we can get the reinforcements then Crusher has this line like the buoys are just as good, is it though? I mean, <laughs> you're really risking a lot of lives. They say that they got pretty much everybody back, right? And so then they're going to go back for a handful of people. I don't know if I necessarily agree with it. And they even say ahead of time like the planet can block them out for forty five seconds, but they need a minute, so it's not even going to be enough time anyway. And they still try to go back. And then Mr. Hotshot Barnes is like, well, we'll drop out of warp at the very last possible second. Yeah, but then that's just... into the planet. Yeah, that just seems even more risky. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty I risky. mean, if I was... And if you were left on the planet, there's nothing... There's no real danger on the planet. You're just going to be camping. Yeah, pretty much. So I don't know. I just don't know if I like this whole, like, Crusher going back kind of thing. I think that there's a little bit of the nonsensical aspect of it. And I think that it's it's just too risky. If you're in charge of like a thousand people and I'm on a planet camping, like don't come back for me. Like it's fine. <laughs> like you can just come back when you've got like a fifty ships. Like I said, I thought this whole part of the episode was not very good. All know, right. Well, let's maybe flip over to something that you did think was good, which is the uh, data Jordy thing. Yeah. So yeah, the data was... experiments on uh, on Jordy. I don't know what to say. I, you know, I'm gonna let you because I this is a very strange kind of way of doing this there's some good parts to it but Jordy, picard troy are in the cell and it's a lot of Jordy coming and getting tortured and then putting them back and then taking them and doing it some more what did you think of that i thought the experimenting on the forge it was pretty i thought it was pretty impactful just because like they're supposed to be like best friends mm-hmm. and lore's like got data so like his mind so warped that he's like doing these experiments on the forge that are probably going to kill him mm-hmm. ultimately um you know it just i thought it showed just how strong of a hold lore had over him he'd never do anything like that on his own like not even close and there is even that scene where he kind of questions it and then lore, oh i can't even ugh, that part where he uses the fingernail to like increase the emotions oh god oh god i hate that i hate that but he, yeah. he increases it, and and Data's like, oh, give me some more. Like, he's almost, like, in pleasure from the emotions. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I, so, the I will say those little, like, suction cup things that they put on him are pretty gnarly. It seems really kind of messed up. Like, I would not want that done to me kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of also feel like Picard and Troy are just kind of sitting around in the prison, and that's kind of it. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question. Do you think it would have been as impactful if he had say been doing the experiments on Troy? Probably not because it's the best friend dynamic that's kind of yeah. being played at, right? Yeah. Exactly. Are you kind of leaning towards because it's a woman, or just because it's the the telekinetic powers, or because it's just not his best friend? Yeah, that's what I was getting getting at. at. Okay, yeah. yeah, and I think that that part of it is probably the only thing that really kind of holds up. Um, there's that bit where he comes in and he uses Picard's voice. I thought that was kind of funny. And there's... The, I thought that was really funny. Yeah, that was good. And then Jordy's going over the memories and kind of trying to draw him out of it, but it's not really working. That part was kind of nice. I think that that was, that was kind of interesting, but I, I feel like I've seen this better. You know what it reminds me of a lot, actually, is remember in Empire Strikes Back when they hook Han up to like the torture device? And then they yeah. drag him back and they throw him in the cell and he's all worn out and he goes, oh, they didn't even ask me any questions. That is such a great scene. Like that yeah. is just a perfect, you know, like they don't show the torture really. They just, you know, you just see the after effects and he's just all worn out and, and broken and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. This, I don't really feel like there was a tremendous amount of pain being, it was just kind of the fear that he would be unfixable basically if he didn't, yeah. uh, if he didn't, get remedied fast enough kind of thing um so yeah i liked it but i was not i wasn't that crazy about it to be honest yeah i mean i guess they could have maybe done things a little differently to make would, little... would you think it would be better if the torture was more extreme or is that not star trek i think you are sort of getting into i mean torture is very the, the concept is very non-star trek so i think you have to tone it down more than maybe you would especially back then chain of command though Mm, yeah that was i think more like psychological though true but i think that there is like uh and and i'm thinking that's maybe the the level they needed to maybe go i know that it kind of only ever goes there very rarely this is kind of more of a jovial episode i mean for something that has torture in it like they're kind of goofing around they're joking about it It doesn't like you said it didn't really have the impact that you would have envisioned it had from the beginning of the first one Hey, this is Matt, and you are listening to Random Trek Review. To get the latest podcasts and to read the RTR blog, visit our website at randomtrekreview.blogspot.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for Random Trek Review. You can find us on social media, uh, Twitter at Rando Trek Review, and on Instagram at Random Trek Review. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, and prefer old-school email, Feel free to drop us a line at randomtrekreview at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Okay, so let's continue on. Uh, let's go back to the ship and Crusher. And so they get the people on board. The ship comes around the planet. And they realize they're not going to be able to get back to the escape. Don't know what to do. They kind of debate it. They discuss it. They eventually decide they're going to hide in the corona of the sun. Now, this is the metaphasic shields from Suspicions, which yes. if you recall, Crusher was a big proponent of trying that out. She even went so far as to take the shuttle in herself yes. and do it against the wishes and the commands of um, some of the other people. So she's really all about these shields. And it seems to work well. Um, yep. Is it never used again? Not that I can remember. So, um, um, doesn't this seem like this would be like a really good thing to have, like all the time? <laughs> um, sure. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Some special shield that lets you hide in the corona of the sun. 
Yeah, especially since the board ship didn't have it, right? So they can't chase them in. Yeah, I feel like that might come in handy once in a while. Yeah, I guess this is kind of something that happens with uh, with Star Trek. They have a, an, an idea for an episode, and then that's kind of as far as they can really take it, because if they had that, then every time somebody would say, well, why not just go into the sun? Well, why not go into the sun? Well, why not go into the sun, right? So yeah. um, maybe they should have done some sort of thing where like it shorted out and it was like too dangerous or something. They kind of did that with suspicions, right? They said it's too dangerous to really like to rely on, but I feel like maybe they should have, uh, they should have done the same thing here where like it almost blows them up and they go, wow, we're never using that again. Like it was way too dangerous. Yeah. That was my whole problem with this whole uh, thing was that like they never really gave the sense that this is like dangerous. Yeah, they just like fire them up. Let's get in. Yeah, there. like they like she fires up the schematics, and they're like, "Well, this has never been tested." She's like, "I ah, just do it anyway." And they're like, "Okay," yeah. you know. And then everything sort of goes the way it's supposed to. And I mean, there's like I never really felt like they were in any real danger. No, they didn't really show what the power and the the power or the limitations of the actual Borg, whatever ship that was that they had stolen. Like they made it seem like it was really powerful and stuff like that, but. I never, I'm with you. I didn't really feel like there was a major threat at all. So I think that that part of it is not necessarily that super exciting, but also the particle beam that they hit the sun with to create the solar flare that blows it up, that seemed really rushed to me. And I think that they were doing a pretty good job setting up what Tate and uh, Barnaby would be, but then that whole thing where they just kind of come up with the idea to blow up the ship like so easily just felt a little bit rushed. How about you? Well, um, I mean, they had to come up with something kind of uh, outside the box to blow them, you know, to destroy the board ship because mm-hmm. I mean, they pretty much crippled the Enterprise. Like, it, you know, they, they disabled the warp drive and they, you know, ended up having to go hide in the, the corona of the sun. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they have to do something, right? Because, you know, as long as that board ship is kind of lurking about, like, they're not going to be able to do anything. And then they sort of introduce this sort of scenario where it's like, oh, the, the shield's running out of power. We can only stay in here for, you know, three more minutes. We have to get to do right. something. So, I mean, that that's, you know, they had to come up with some outside-the-box solution to that whole conundrum of the board ship. I guess maybe it falls under the same problem, though, where, like, every time a ship is chasing you, why don't you just go towards the star, the nearest star, and then just shoot behind you, and then create a flare that blows them up every time if you can do it that accurately hey kern did that once that is true in redemption yeah he like what did he do he like flew into the corona and then he like went to warp or something and it, like, yeah this big giant yeah i don't think he went into it i think he just went really close to it like yeah. as close as you can go without actually being inside of it yeah. but then that's a reason why the mesophasic shield would be so good right yeah i think that's enough with the crusher stuff let's kind of get back to the the big blowout at the compound because this is kind of where everything emerges this is if this episode is going to work or not if this work if this episode is going to stand the test of time it's going to be in this final act the big blowout the big shootout what do you think so essentially they eventually use the transceiver thing to kind of reset data's subroutines which then are going to give him back his uh morality protocols and everything like that yep. lore drags them all out and he's going to get data to kill the cart that's going to be his trial by fire okay test of loyalty right the test of loyalty um and he doesn't do it shocking 
Okay. Um, so let's just talk about that part first. What did you think about a resetting data and B the loyalty thing? Was there ever really any doubt that he wasn't going to shoot the card? Well, I think if they had done it before, they sort of constructed that little device to reboot his uh, like his ethical program. Then mm-hmm. I think maybe there would have been like a I, I would have maybe given it like fifty fifty. But as yeah. soon as they like did that, it's like wow, he's not going to do anything too crazy now. I guess they could have done a thing where like he shoots him in like the artificial heart or something, and it's like <laughs> it doesn't hurt him because Data knows him so well and he's so accurate that. <laughs> he makes it look like he did it. Would that be better? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I never really thought of that. <laughs> well, shoot him in the artificial heart. Or wow. just shoot him in a spot where you'd think it would kill the average person, but it wouldn't kill the card because Data knows him so well or something. I don't know. He has like a, he has like a prosthetic like hip or something that no one knows about except Data. And like, like, it like ricochets <laughs> off and like hits yeah. one of the board. And yeah. Like just standing it's one magic loogie, like that kind of thing. <laughs> That was a second spinner. <laughs> okay, well, that's whatever. That's the first part. The second part is is that Lore then decides, oh, if you're not going to kill Picard, then I'm going to kill you. Because I... Like, I don't know why he needs everyone to be proving loyalty all of a sudden. But he decides that we need to do it. We have to prove loyalty. So he's going to kill his own brother. The ultimate sacrifice. And in a move that makes no sense to me, and it comes completely out of nowhere, Hugh runs from the crowd and does like the giant like bodyguard dive and eats the phaser blast why number one and number two why okay um let's see Hugh's motivation is kind of tricky because he's very reluctant to help them earlier on Mm. he was basically like i'll show you how to get in but then that's it Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the rest is up to you and then i guess he just has this like sudden change of heart for why, no, why? no apparent reason. Why does he care about Data? If it was Jordy, that would make sense. Yes. But it's not Jordy. It's Data. I, I, I couldn't tell you. That is one sort of mystery about this whole scene. Yeah, and one of the other things that is very difficult about like phasers and phaser fire is it's not like it's a gun with one bullet. Like He shoots, Hugh dives, and then he falls down. You could just shoot him again. Yeah, it's true. Like, it's a continuous beam. You could just hold it straight, and as, so- as soon as the guy falls, it would just continue to kill the guy. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> after the big sacrifice, Hugh jumps and kills himself to save Data. Literally, a ballroom-style blitz breaks out, where Picard is throwing big elbows and... Worf and Riker are shooting from the balcony, and it's kind of pandemonium all at once. Yep. So what do you think of that? Well, um, I, I thought it was actually one of the stronger parts of the episode. That's more of what I was more exciting, expecting yeah. what I, when, I, when part one ended, is I thought there would be all this like, crazy action. So, I, I don't know. I thought it was a decent, a decent scene. It was very hectic and very chaotic, which, which gave Lore a chance to uh, sort of weasel his way into the back room which i thought was very lore yeah but then he's working on like what's what's he working on on that computer that's an interesting question i always assume that he had some sort of like weird transporter thing oh, okay to like a hidden ship somewhere that he right. could like I, I mean i don't know but that's what i always figured it was yeah he's, he's not like just like you know doing his taxes or something 
He runs back. Tax return. Yeah, I really got to get that finished. It's almost due. To the collective. Yeah. He forgot to pay his taxes. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. It's strange because he runs back there and he's working on the computer. And so then Data comes in and I guess Data realizes that Lore is too dangerous. This is too too close. And this leads kind of the death of Lore. So did Lore die too soon, number one? And number two, is this a satisfying death for a character that I think during the run was pretty well-liked? Was it too soon? I would say maybe a little bit. It might have been nice to have him sort of have his like one last hurrah in the final season, but he didn't really give Data much choice. True. I True. mean, he was reaching for one of those board things to, to shoot Watson, him, and yeah. Data beat him, you know, beat him to the punch. And what about the actual process of him dying? I well, you brought up there. Did you like that? It was pretty quick. Was but it? The, but the line, I don't know. I thought the line was kind of. A bit, a bit sentimental. Was it supposed to kind of be reminiscent to uh, Lol, Lol, Data's daughter? Yes. Um, yeah, she said the same thing when she died, right? Yeah, I, I guess that maybe is sort of a nod to when when Lol died. When she kind of was shutting down, right? Or is that just like a, anybody who has a positronic brain when it shuts down, like you just tell whoever's <laughs> in the room that you love them? Maybe that's maybe, you know, Dr. Soon was a little uh, bit eccentric. So. He maybe like put that in. Like, oh, I'm assuming that somebody would be there that you love, so I'll just put that in as a subroutine. <laughs> I love you, Ensign Tate. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I don't know. It, it's possible. All right. Now, the other question I have for you, because I apparently did not uh, pick up on some of these, like, small intricate pieces as I was watching it, but... When Data shuts down Lore, is that essentially like he is shutting out the possibility of him ever having the emotion chip? Or is it that he's just shutting him down and it's just the right thing to do? Uh, I think he just shut him down because it was the right thing to do. I mean, this is, you know, mischievous Lore who always seems to find ways to get him into trouble. I think this was purely like, you know, I want to make sure that he doesn't bother anyone ever again. Very true. Um, because, uh, you know, Lore, Lore was not a very uh, good android. He was definitely the evil one of the two. Well, that's true. He's an earlier model, right? They hadn't got the morality subroutines fixed up yet. That's right. Uh, and do you think that they already knew that the emotion chip was something that they wanted to play their hand at in the movies and they kind of set it up here? Or do you think that it is just coincidental? Like they just um, did this, and then the movie, they're like, hey, let's get that out again. I, I feel like they were definitely going to use that later on at some right. point, whether later in the season or in one of the movies. Um, I feel like I feel like that's sort of where... Like, Data had sort of progressed to a point where, like, you have to give him emotions, or he's, he like, he's, really a, he's as human as he's going to get until you say, okay, you may now have emotions. Right. So then I guess my last question to you is, is that, is there a political statement here with Lord taking advantage of the Lost Borgs? Borgs. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I don't want to get too, too political here, but I mean, I think it's sort of irrelevant considering the current political climate in certain jurisdictions. Right. Um, I mean, you look at how Lord, Lord, you know, he basically takes advantage of these, you know, lost 
bored that have no they're, they're un, unable to function and they have right. no they have no hope they have no direction they don't know what they're doing they're just like these sort of broken bored that don't know what to do with themselves and then Laura comes along and says you know I'm gonna make your life better and I'm gonna yeah. lead you to greatness and all this you know and and I imagine you know being Lord that he's fairly manipulative when you when you yeah. do that and I, I don't know I just think that that kind of almost parallels some of the political yeah. uh, climate and, today. And, and not even necessarily today, but I think that's like a very common thing throughout history. You find people yes. who are down and out, hopeless and directionless. You promise them X, Y, Z, and then all of a sudden they're evil, right? I mean, you could even go back to like Nazis. That's what it was, right? Germany is destroyed after the First World War. Listen, guys, we're going we're gonna to be great again. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. It's going to be awesome. And everyone's like, well, yeah, obviously, like things aren't working the way that we've got. So let's, this is better than nothing. And then the next thing you know, you're evil, right? So I think that that's a very common thing throughout history. And I don't know if it's maybe necessarily making a political statement, but it's definitely using what would probably realistically happen if you were to come across these Borg and you were evil yourself, right? You could use them. I think that maybe they should have went deep. Enough. We can get to it to the end of the episode, but there's so many good little things here, good little nuggets. The Jordy uh, data torture thing, the uh, the lore controlling the Borg thing, the Hugh thing. I feel like there's so many little good pieces, but collectively they just don't really meld together. They don't really hit home. Yeah, it's true. It was kind of a scatterbrain of an episode. <laughs> All right, let's look at the casting characters now. Um, start off, Ensign Tate. Um, not a huge amount of character development here and not a ton to say on my end of things. What did you think of Ensign Tate? And give me your kind of 30-second review of Tate. I'll give you about a 10-second review. <laughs> no, I'm not really a fan of the, the yeah. character. Like, she was there and was never seen or heard from again. Yeah, I kind of wish they just used somebody in the background, like one of those people like... Uh, you know, one of the people that's driving the ship typically. Like, you know, sometimes you see those extras that are constantly uh, in the background or constantly kind of just off to the side. They never really have lines or anything. That would be a great opportunity to do that. Like, this is obviously just like a literal throwaway, right? Yes. So, okay, that's it for Tate. What about Barnaby? Um, I don't know. He seemed pretty generic as well. Like, I didn't really, I didn't really have any sort of attachment to him yeah. at all. Just like, it's... I feel like there was a Maquis guy at the beginning of Voyager. It was like basically this guy. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like this is like a pretty generic character as well. Like the he's gonna be like hard nosed and he's done the calculations. It's I don't know. Mm -hmm. I I could really care less about this guy. Yeah, I'm not yeah, I'm and now he's never seen again either, right? Like he's out the door. Okay, there, those ones are done. Um (laughs) Lore. So uh this is our last appearance of Lore though so far. Who knows? Laura might show up in the new Captain Picard series. Don't ever say never, but may show up in. He's probably gonna if he's gonna show up anywhere. That's where it's gonna be. Um, I don't know about the books or the comics or anything like that. But as far as I know, this is Laura's last appearance. Um, give me your thirty second synopsis on Laura, and then maybe tell me a little bit about how you felt it went. I've always sort of been had this fascination with Laura, um, just because he's sort of like the evil data. Mm-hmm. Um, the mirror universe data maybe so yeah i've always thought he was kind of this interesting character um and and i'm kind of glad they didn't really overdo lore i think he makes what four four appearances yeah 
I thought that three was, or four. Yeah, I, I thought that was. I, I thought that they did a nice job of not overdoing that. Um, and I thought he was pretty good in this episode. For like, he wasn't really in it that much. I think we already kind of mm-hmm. talked about that. Um, at least not as much as you would think. Yeah, I always love the idea of an evil twin. That is such a trope. It's such a. You know, that's in so many B-rate horror movies and stuff like that. Or it's like, remember that episode of the Treehouse of Horror, The Simpsons, where Bart had the evil twin, Hugh? Yes. And he was up eating fish heads and stuff like that. Um, so the evil twin thing is is such a great device. And Star Trek is one of the rare places where you can do it, play around with a little bit, and still have it be believable if you think about it. Yeah, and I, I mean, they actually did it another time with, uh, with Thomas Riker. That's true, yeah. Who, but, who turned out to be sort of like... He was kind of evil, yeah. In the end, well, because he turned into a Maquis. So, so yeah. But this is really like an evil, evil. Well, yeah, yeah. This, this is like Because the Maquis, you could argue, are like freedom fighters or what have you. But this is an evil version of Data. Yes. Which is a very interesting kind of sandbox to play in. I agree with you that I'm glad that they didn't overdo it. And by the same token, I feel like... This is not necessarily like the big blowout that you would maybe expect. Like he literally just gets turned off. And I almost yeah. feel like they did that. They said, oh, we're going to ship him off to like Starfleet Command so that maybe they, if they wanted to later, they could bring him back, that kind of thing. Laura's also got like, the biggest horseshoe in the world. Like, is there anybody luckier than this guy? <laughs> they don't really explain how he comes about these Borg, but like he randomly comes about, figures, finds them, they're leaderless, so he becomes the leader. Um, the last time that we saw Lore, he was, what, he was running around for Crystal and Entity? Entity? Yep, I, yep, that's correct, as far as I can remember, yeah. And then, like, yeah, he just seems to be so lucky when it comes to, like, every time they bump into him, it's like, wow, how did you survive the last time that we, like, left you? And yeah, he's, he's like those, like, villains that like they'll be in like an exploding building and then like the next time you see them it's like oh i managed to get out of there yeah just in the nick of time right it's like jaws from james bond right like oh he survived <laughs> right so just i inexplicably survives a yeah. catastrophic event i wonder if lore could have should have blown to pieces or something like literally phasered on level 10 and just <laughs> blows him up so he's never coming back well, would that have made this episode better maybe didn't data say that they would like dismantle him they were going to dismantle him so they could look at the parts and the pieces, I guess. Well, I thought, like, after Data shot him, I was like, I'm sorry, Lord, but you will have to be disassembled. Mm-hmm. He does say that. Because he's a threat. Yeah, so, I mean, I assume that that's what happened. I guess they could go give him to, like, that guy from Measure of a Man. Remember the one who wanted to dismantle? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Maddox. Maddox. Like, they could yeah, go give, yeah. him to, give him to that guy? <laughs> Maybe. Okay, let's talk about Hugh. Um, we already talked about him, but just... Is this a fitting end for Hugh, and uh, did he deserve better? I think his... Well, I'll let you talk first. Yeah, I. it was kind of nice to have him in another episode, and it was kind of nice to sort of have this like quasi-sequel to Ibor, because it was such a iconic episode, and it was such a good episode. Um, I, I read that the writers sort of intended to revisit this like little sort of cadre of individualized board mm-hmm. later on in the season and it just never happened yeah um that would have been interesting to see because i mean hugh sort of at the end of this episode he almost kind of became like the reluctant leader of these guys because he sort of thought that 
the way he sort of talked about it, it was like, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen now, but we'll have to figure it out. It yeah. Kind of insinuated that maybe he was going to... Like, resist lore. Yeah. Again, it's kind of another small little nugget that never really kind of grows into a... It's like a seed that doesn't really yeah, blossom, you know? Yeah, it's true. All right, let's look at some production notes. I don't have much to say about Hugh, to be honest. I kind of feel like this is a bit of a waste of him, to be honest. I mean, I was really excited in part one for him to get brought back. And then when this is what they did with it, I kind of thought, eh, bit of a waste. And then he uh, pointlessly sacrifices himself, which makes no sense. All right, let's look at the production notes. Uh, so this Barnaby guy that we just said was super generic was actually in Suspicions, remember? The one he with was. Metaphasic Shield. So he looked he much was, different, though. Yeah, he had kind of the makeup and the prosthetics and everything. He was a character named Joe Brill. So there you go. He actually was involved in one of the like, coolest special effects, I think, in the history of Star Trek. Okay, which one's that? Do you remember in the shuttle at the very end when they're like, he, him and Crusher were like sort of struggling? Right, yeah. She like Fighting over like the controls. So she managed to pick up a phaser and like shot him in the chest and because of his like anatomy, like there was like this giant hole in the middle yeah. of him. Yeah. He was still able to fight. Keep fighting, yeah. And you could like see like right through him. Yeah, I that do remember that now. Pretty, that was cool. That was pretty cool, yeah. That was kind of like early era green screens or something like that. But it was pretty, it was very well done, very effective. Yeah, that was cool. Now, uh, he's actually has one other fairly significant Star Trek appearance. Oh, really? I did not know. Yeah. You, Lightning. However, you may only recognize the voice. Okay, it's pretty, like, generic, like, baritone voice. Well, yeah, so he was, um, now you've been, I, I don't know if you're still working your way through Enterprise, but I know you were watching the... I still, I mean, I'm, like, at near the end of season Do you one. Remember, do you season. remember in the first episode, there was that, like, mysterious figure from the future that you couldn't... Oh, yeah, see? is that him? That was him, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. I did not pick up on that. Obviously, it's kind of, like we've talked about before where they use these extras and stuff all the time so and there was much debate over who that he actually was yeah i've read stuff about like it might be like future archer or it might be future somebody else or something or like. or a lot of there was a lot of speculation on like a long one right but kind anyways. of tweak, trying to like tweak the past and stuff yep so laura's death is actually reminiscent of hal from 2001 space obviously have you ever seen that movie i've not okay Church. so well not the whole thing Actually, interestingly enough, um, two weeks ago, they were playing 2001 Space Odyssey at IMAX downtown, and oh, I nice. actually went because I don't, I, it was one of those movies where I felt like I had never seen it, and then when you go and you sit and you watch it, you literally have seen it through parodies. Almost every scene, every piece of music, everything is from like The Simpsons and Futurama, and like when I was sitting there watching, I was like, I have seen this movie. It's just that I've seen it in parodies through for the last like 20 30 years um mm -hmm. and so uh lore's death is very reminiscent when hal eventually gets shut down in that movie so that's kind of an interesting little thing especially since lore is artificial intelligence and so is hal so yeah. it's kind of cool um the next one is a very very disappointing piece of production notes and i think it's a total total waste total shame um hugh and jordy never interact in this episode they're never even yeah. in the same room what a waste Absolutely, yep. I totally agree. Um, I, I think that uh, it's kind of funny, like with all these little tidbits and, and plot lines that they put in there, they really didn't manage to work this in somehow, which is, yeah, it's very, very disappointing. And I, like I said, with better writing, they could have set it up in such a way that he saved Jordy, not Data. That's very possible, yes. 
Like he could have just they could have even written it where Laura is gonna kill Jordy right in front of David just to show him, right? And then yeah. Hugh, Hugh just jumps out and saves him. Or or he could have said, okay, uh, instead of killing Picard, we're, you're gonna kill Jordy. And, and then yeah, exactly. exactly. And then he goes, I'm gonna kill him instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we should have been writing for this. Right, we were ten right. years old, but. <laughs> Our CBS, uh, you can reach us at uh, yeah, Random Trek Review five, Blogspot. 555 <laughs> uh, And our last kind of, well, actually, got a couple of little pieces. Um, so the emotion chip, um, we talked about it already. We know that it shows back up in Generations. Yes. And it gets used again in, in Insurrection. But it is so different in terms of the visual way that it looks, the actual prop itself. Um, so. Yeah. Which one do you like better? Do you like the one in the end of the episode where they're sitting in Jordy's or sorry Data's place and they're playing with the cat and he has the little tiny chip, or do you like the one from Generations where it's like the big like microchip, like the Max Zoran special? The nub, big giant like gold nub. Yeah, what do you think? Uh, I thought the one at the end of the episode actually looked kind of cool. Yeah, I agree, and I think that the one in Generations is way too dumbed down for like your average idiot moviegoer where like it's the emotion <laughs> chip and it's a giant computer disc that you have to stick on the guy's brain and then that gives him emotions yeah the one in i think the one in i, I mean i think the the reason for that it's because they like there was that scene where he was like looking at it and like sort of like i don't know if i should use it or not yeah but he could have been just holding it with tweezers or something uh, and thinking about it i know what you mean but I think there's a kind of I, I like kind of thinking about Star Trek the shows and Star Trek the movies almost separately from each other because they set up this emotion ship whether it was planned or not planned. I don't know if it was necessarily even used that well on the movies because it's the kind of the type of thing where if you want to really delve deeply into data with emotions, that would have been served better on the TV show. Yeah, because on the movies he just kind of ends up swearing and laughing and he gets scared and he kind of goofs around and it's kind of more played for silliness and it's like he doesn't have good control over them whereas I feel like if he'd done it on the show it could have been like a really good look at like the darker emotions and that whole idea like from the first episode where there's no good emotions or bad emotions it's really just emotions and it's how you deal with them that matters I think we said this once before they, uh, they really screwed it up in generations <laughs> Well, one day we maybe will review that and we can talk about it more in depth. Um, the last little piece, maybe this is nitpicky, but Jordy tells the story about when Data and Jordy go swimming and Data jumps out of the boat and sinks to the bottom. He's got to walk a mile along the bottom of the, uh, of the water. But in Insurrection, Data is used as a flotation device when they fall in the water, when they're in that hollow ship, remember? When they yep. fall out of it. So yes. what is it? Is he so heavy that he sinks to the bottom, or is it that he can be used as a flotation device? Uh, I think it's both. Um, I believe, if, if I'm not mistaken, he actually did walk underwater earlier in that movie. Mm, did he? I thought he did. Because I seem to remember this scene where he's like walking along and this like little fish floats in the yes. and he's like looking at it and yeah. he's like poking it with his finger. And, and then I thought later on, they he said that he could... Become a flotation device in an emergency, which is extremely cheesy. That's like really silly, yeah. Yeah. I don't like that. That like where you gotta pull a string on his back and it's gonna like it's gonna flush our floating. That's that's dumb. They should have just left it that he sinks. Because well, he's made of yeah. metal. 
Yeah, how's he gonna? Yeah, he's like this giant chunk of metal. Like, how's he gonna float? Yeah, it makes no sense. Uh, no, <laughs> so, right. it doesn't and also, like, if you were in the ocean, would he just go to the bottom and that would be it? You'd never see him again? And if he's metal, he, he has to walk, like, the, like, like 4,000 <laughs> miles to the coast. Yeah, like, I don't know. Uh, anyway, it's nitpicky. Let's talk about our favorite scenes and our favorite quotes. Um, what are your favorites? Uh, there weren't really a lot of, like, one-liners in this episode. At least I didn't really feel like there was a lot of good ones. But um, uh, Laura trying on Jordy's visor was absolutely hilarious. You know, Dana yeah. brings in the visor and he's like, what did you want it for? And he's like, thought it might look good on me. And he, like, holds it up to his face. Like, that's just so funny. Yeah. And so lore. Yes, very yeah. much so. Um, I think I am going to go with when uh, Data impersonates Picard's voice. And Jordy, Jordy buys into it. Come on, Data's going to be back soon. And then he starts laughing. That's he walks like, right next to him, like, too late. Too late. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Um, I think that Data probably could have used that fact that he could be anybody's voice more frequently. Wouldn't that be like a huge advantage? Absolutely, yeah. So he really only does it, I think, one other time. That one where he like he he takes over the ship. Yeah, that's like, brothers. Yeah, isn't that's, it? Yeah, yeah, that's brothers. Yeah, he like takes over the ship and he uses like Picard's voice to need to like blurt out all the command codes right. to take, do all this crazy stuff to the ship. The other, the other scene that really stuck out to me, um, there's that scene where um, Lore, like, like Data's like talking with Lore, and Lore's like, uh, like takes, like it's that one with the fingernail that he loves oh, so much. Oh god, that just makes me feel kind of far. <laughs> but like, you know, you remember when he like takes away the emotions and Data almost like winces and he's yeah. kind of like, no, give me more, give me more, and Lore's yeah. like, okay, a little more. Yeah, and, and like to me, that just that one scene really sort of hit home just how tightly, like to how tight of a hold Lore had over him. Very true. Over the, yeah, very true. Although, what emotions was he sending? Pleasure or pain or? It could be could be anything. It's very true. Probably yeah, like just the probably sensation. like anger and uh, the the ones that he was feeding him. Right, him, so. right, right, right. <laughs> All right, give me your final thoughts then, and give me a rating out of five visors this time. Since we were just talking about visors. Yeah. Um, I thought overall it was okay, but like we've talked about throughout the podcast here, like it just, there's just too much going on. Mm-hmm. It felt kind of rushed uh, at times just because they're just sort of going from one thing to another thing to another thing to another thing. And um, I mean, it would have been nice if they maybe tried to cut some of that out and really sort of flesh out the good, the, the good parts. Um, you know, there were a few, like, good scenes and a few good lines, but, uh, I mean, it just, I don't know, I just didn't really like it that much. Um, I think I'll give it probably three visors out of five. I mean, it was it was an okay episode, but not great, and certainly not uh, quite as good as the first part. Uh, I agree. I think it's kind of like uh, how cookie dough tastes better when it's like before it's been cooked than the actual cookies, you know? This is so much potential and so many interesting ideas and little in, like little tidbits and, and pieces, but overall, it's just not really an overall satisfying experience. None of the payoffs really seem like they hit home to me. I didn't think that after, I didn't watch this over the summer, but it was like, if you had waited three months just for them to say, okay, put them in the jail, that's a bit of a lame old. Right. Um, and I mean, I think in best of both worlds, it worked because 
you know, they go for the big fire and then it's like, when it doesn't work and that is kind of like, oh no, like what are they going to do? This just really felt like they had cut the camera off at an interesting point and then you see what would have happened if they had run it for another minute and it's just like, oh, that's not exciting at all. Like that's like, it's pretty lame. Like you just get put in like a generic jail cell. Like that part of it, I think really let me down. I thought Hugh was wasted. I thought that Worf and Riker weren't really doing much. They were just kind of hanging about. It wasn't really clear what Laura was up to and what his plan was and how he came about these people. It didn't really show how Hugh was integrated into it. So I think I'm with you. I'm going to go three out of five visors because there is some good scenes and it's obviously memorable. I remembered lots of it. But I think that's probably about as much as I can go. Three out of five. All right, everybody, we have made the turn for home, and we are in the last portion, the most exciting portion of the episode, as well as the most stressful for my buddy Matt here. We are going to pull a fresh episode out of the urban sombrero that we use weekly here on RTR, and we're going to pull out a new episode for next week, and Matt's going to have uh, his run-of-the-mill 60 seconds to decide if he can remember any plot points, any B plot points, any trivia, any, uh, what else are we looking for? Quotes, we're looking for characters, characters, anything really. Uh, if you are deciding to play along at home, I would recommend to pause this currently and grab yourself a scrap of paper. Once I reveal what the episode is, give yourself 60 seconds as well, see how much you can remember, and then you can score yourself at home. All right, so Matt, are you ready? I think I am ready, yes. Okay. So. I hope it's a good one. Well, I'm not going to lie. There is not a lot that I remember about this one myself, but that doesn't mean anything because it's your episode this week. It is a Voyager episode. All right. It is a Voyager episode. It is season four. It is episode 24. The name is Demon. All right, I'm just going to let Matt write down uh, a couple of small points here. Are you ready? Uh, yep, I think I remember this one. Okay, and go. Uh, Voyager encounters uh, what is called a demon planet. Uh, they were like super low on energy reserves, and so they discover this planet that has like the, the materials that they need to keep going, but it's like demon class, which means it's extremely inhospitable. Uh, so they land the ship anyway, and then I feel like this is the one where, um, the, there's like this weird compound on the surface that they couldn't detect from orbit, and it, like, duplicates the crew. I don't know if you remember this one or not. Nope. Like, like, Kim and Paris, like, go and they're, like, looking around, and then Kim, like, falls in this pool of stuff, and it ends up, like, duplicating him. And so he goes back and he can like breathe the atmosphere. And so they're all like, how is this possible? And it turns out that he's like, you know, been duplicated by this weird compound and it duplicates the whole crew. And then the duplicated crew stays on the planet and then the other one flies away. Okay. And that is it for time. That sounds like you know what you're talking about. I have no recollection of this. I remember vaguely an episode middle of the pack where they land the ship on like a really like evil looking place that's really unhospitable i'm assuming it's this one i don't I'm really remember them duplicating it this could be 
one of those rare cases where you have smashed it or it has something completely different that uh, we will have to wait and see until I will know next about week. 30 seconds in watching <laughs> the episode, episode if you got it right or not. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us here on the podcast this week. Um, make sure that you, at some point, uh, flip on your uh, service of choice and you watch Voyager Season 4, Episode 24, along with us. Uh, for Demon, we will be back next week to look at this show is brought to you by hollow sweet media Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast. And it's just that, that innocence of why. Why do they do that? Mm-hmm. Why would you need to do that? And I love that having kids makes you really, sometimes you kind of, you think about it, but then you kind of pass over it because, I mean, you get older and you kind of see some of the stuff, but they just remind you, like, why? Right. Why is somebody doing this to somebody? doesn't make sense. So that, that was a good thing to pull out. You have to be carefully taught, to quote a lyric from South Pacific. <laughs> Loading Holosuite preview program for The Vedic Assembly, a DS9 podcast. What flavor would I Jello that hasn't set yet. <laughs> flavor, he would be orange. You reckon he'd be orange flavored? He'd be orange flavored. Not just because he's got orange goo yeah exactly okay. i mean it would be weird if he were a flavor and he were orange colored goo and you tasted it and it was like lime that would be disconcerting be surprised so yes he's... But i say like like <laughs> bitter orange you know yeah bitter orange like a blood orange yeah. blood orange odo yes oh now i would totally eat odo let's do now. that <laughs> loading hollow sweet preview program for the Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. The orangey skin makes me think of something else. Makes you think nowadays. of Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and bad hair. Oh my God. He's Kazon. Donald Trump is Kazon. Trump is Kazon. Oh my God. I'm surprised he's not calling himself Marge Trump. <laughs> because he's not very bright either. No. It fits perfectly. Well, I understand it all now. We've, we've just been taken over by the Kazon. And we didn't even realize it. No. Oh my God. <laughs> Listeners, we've just solved the mystery of the last four years in the United States. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.